Hey, Jason, can you hear us? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> awesome, man. I'm glad you made it up. I was like, I don't know if we're talking in a different time zone or what. You're in Connecticut, right? That's correct. I'm over here in Australia. Down Ooh, south. Nice. <laughs> How's the weather over there? I'm originally from Texas, so I feel like I'm in Arizona. No, I'm just kidding. I'm over here about 40 miles east of Phoenix. <laughs> and it's uh it's rainy and just overall gloomy right now i think phil he's got some wind some, and some wet stuff some wind yeah and yeah. it's probably pretty cold some wind he said it was 60 miles an hour today let all his birds out and they flew they flew 100 miles away because it was so windy yeah, I was talking to you on the phone. Back. I was like, ah, it's okay. I've flown him in the high winds before, but this is kind of next level <laughs> shit right now. And I let him out and I was like, oh man, I don't even see him anymore. Where are they? And they were like so far blown away. They were struggling to come back. It was something funny. Those are just his fantails. Yeah, my fantails. <laughs> what do you say? Uh, it looks like when a fantail's flying, looks like somebody's throwing a towel across the room. It's like a gym towel flying. They fly like a uh, they fly like a hand towel that's been soiled. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What is it, uh 30 there your time? Yeah, about nine thirty. Okay, cool. Just well, got home from the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was the case. That'd be nice, huh? <laughs> well we just we just opened up the bar, so that's right. Wow, you guys, you guys got nice weather over there, nice and warm. Yeah, sometimes. Right now, it's not very nice. I mean, I'm at 5,500 feet, so we get some crappy weather. Oh, that's well, a nice get... place to fly. Yeah, the He's one good thing wind. is, uh, yeah, I got really high wind, but I'm outside of the tree line, so I don't have a lot of birds of prey, and um, that makes it pretty good. Like I've only lost two birds in the last four or five years oh wow so i'm not really that's awesome yeah the birds of prey aren't really too much of an issue for me he's got these white homing pigeons when he releases them they fly 90 mile an hour because they got a 65 mile an hour tailwind, tailwind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just open up their wings like sails and crews yeah they will think for them because i uh, i do releases south so the wind blows them right to me so jason you've uh You've done a lot of one loft races. Are you a part of a race club in your area? Yeah, I'm part of the Connecticut Classic. Okay. I stopped for like four years not flying in the club. We seem to be, um, got busy life, so I just started shipping on a one loft races. Yeah. I'm back in the game this year. I'm oh. flying on my, um, my house this year. You got a lot of championships for these one loft races. You even got the uh, Arizona one in 2021. That's correct, yeah. yeah. They snug that in. <laughs> Man, you know, I was—I just got the Racing Pigeon Digest in the mail today, and we're actually going to be talking to that guy from Louisiana with the One Loft Race next week. But you know, you're flipping through there, and it's like there's a, there's so many of these One Loft races that are just sprouting up all over right now. You know, these new ones are coming up all over, and it's really growing a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, you 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 club fly, but you also One Loft fly. I mean, do you see that kind of being the direction that it's going? We have one here in New England. Um, 
but it's hard over here because of the cold weather so they only have like a limited time of training the birds and everything even I shipped birds in Canada last year and it's it's pretty hard too because you know they get the winter coming in early you breed it by January you, you have to have it bracing by September end of September big first week of October you pass that time it'd be too cold for the birds and it changed the the leaves so the mountains change you know there's no more leaves in the trees so when you train them it's all green and everything now when you're raising them on the 300 miles there's no more leaves so it changes it make a harder race as I was trying to come out with that they can see everything that's underneath the tree I learned that when I was in Indiana for a short time fall came and you could see everybody's backyard it was weird <laughs> that's a different scenery yeah so uh, what one loft race was that you did in Canada Pigeon Elite I joined that and um I just got my bird back from the um, with Big Andy I he was there was a member there that um then activate the birds and say oh I like to raise that <laughs> nice. and I said sure I'll take those two birds so one survived um it's um it didn't win but it's a nice looking bird I just got it last week you said there was pigeons elite uh the Canada one love race with Big Andy Big Andy okay we uh well we we know a guy does one uh Ryan over there uh feathers elite uh pigeon auction yeah i raised i raised i i shipped birds over there last year too nice yeah i got my i got my birds back over there he did um the survivor thing last year <laughs> it was crazy though it's um hunger games and everything he raised the toughest pigeon whoever survived they got like one eye cold some of them pick up some uh, <laughs> a lot of sickness i think out of 300 birds there were like 60 birds in the final race oh wow yeah and my uh my pigeon was in the second to the last race still got a one eye cold flying at 200 miles 250 miles and still come home yeah. <laughs> it's a tough bird right there he's just doing experiment but those Well, the braces are like that. Whoever, whatever the organizer wants to do, you know, you just you just hope your bird survive it. You know, each each um, one of the braces different location. Let's say uh, Spain, Pattaya, uh, um, even here in the U.S. You know, you got Indiana with the Hoosier, or Arizona. They're all different weather. It's hard to tell which bird's gonna win it you know what i mean yeah. i always say it um it's like the horse for the course you know mm-hmm. yeah we just heard that at the other interview we just did horses for horses hello and welcome to the all about pigeons podcast i'm phil and i'm chris and today we have with us jason pena he is a one loft race champion many times over. and he's uh here to talk to us about the Racing pigeons for military uh, veterans, and we're also going to do a little bit of talking on bloodlines today. So, Jason, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the call. So, can you uh, give us a little bit of background with um, yourself, and then you know, tying into the racing pigeons for military veterans? 
Yeah, I was born in the Philippines. I came here in the U.S. when I was 19 years old, but I have pigeons since I was six years old. You just, once you get the bug, you just got bitten <laughs> and you, you can't like go help it. You know, so I stopped. I think I had it for two years when I was young. Then I stopped, then I have it again in high school. Then I stopped again in college. Then I stopped, got married. And, you know, back in pigeons again. <laughs> Just kept coming back. <laughs> but it's part of life, you know. Like I said, I, I had a daughter. You get busy. You know, when she was little, I used to take her um, training with me when I was racing in the club. Well, when you go to high school, you get busy with some after school um, activities, you know, and you don't have time. You get home, you're supposed to train the birds and... You don't have that because you have to bring them to the dance or ba uh, ballet or piano lesson. You don't have that. That's why I went to uh, one little braces after that. Yeah, just easier of a commitment for you then. Yeah, now she's in college. Now I'm back in the club. <laughs> so how did you get into doing the uh, racing pigeons for military veterans? How'd that come about? So uh, Romer is the uh, founder of it, and he approached me. He started it. And there's a lot of critics. He said, oh, I think I'm just gonna shut down the program. Uh, there's a lot of question and everything. He works in the VA mm -hmm. in Texas. So he's been a helping a lot of veterans already. He's been around with everybody helping them out. And I'm with the Connecticut Foot Guard, the oldest uh, military in the US, but we're considered as a militia. And he said, I got the uniform on. He said, you want to join? Plus, I'm in um, first responders, too. I work in the medical field. Our RPMB is part of the first responders, too, because there's a lot of stress and first responders, you know, military veterans and everything like that. So part of that is pigeon. Having pigeon is take the stress away. You see them fly, come home. They're happy to see you. You feed them. It takes a lot out of that stress in you, you know? And um, so he was about to quit. I said, no, I said, that's a good program, you know? We should we should keep moving on this, you know? It, we're gonna help a lot of people with this thing, you know? And um, right now we have actually a fundraising going for one of our members. Um, his wife was um, diagnosed with cancer. So we, we um, gathered some birds for auction and best pigeon. Whatever we got out from there, we're gonna give it to Charles Blaseos is his name to help out with some expenses, you know. Right, but man, that's that's, cool. that's part of the program to help other people. You know, if you're new, uh, especially if you're in the veterans, you know, we help non-veterans too. If you a member, you do want to get started, we, we we help people out. You know, we give them some starter kit and everything like that. It's just spreading the words of pigeon because everybody loves pigeons so might as well you know yeah and i'll tell you every every documentary i've ever seen about pigeons somebody's making some kind of a statement about how those things help with stress or anger or, you know how they have like a therapeutic quality to it and you know any kind of hobby can really help focus your mind anyways so that's really cool. somebody needs to tell my wife that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey tell your wife it's better it's better to know that you're in the pigeon coop rather than hanging around in the bar. You know, when yeah. when my daughter was little, and says, oh, where's your dad? My, my wife will ask. 
Oh, you know where to find him. He's in the pigeon coop. <laughs> Easy to find, you know. So they're the pigeon coop in the hen house? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. And you guys have a Facebook for the racing pigeons for military events? Yes, yes we do. RPMBproject.com is our website. And okay. just search RPMB and we have a Facebook page for it. Okay. That's very really cool. And I wondered if you could... Uh, talk with us a little bit about bloodlines we had a, a listener request something on this and i was like you know what this guy he's working with some really high quality birds he's doing the one left you know yeah so jamie hilbert asked us about talking some racing pigeon bloodlines and crossing and you know what family of birds do you have now what have you worked with in the past so w- when you're new with the um, pigeon racing they always have this hype of bloodlines I'll give you a secret with that. <laughs> Buying bloodlines with pedigree, that that cuts your um, breeding program in 50%. Let's say I could buy pigeons in, uh, in a pet shop, you know. I breed the bird, I work hard on it. Let's say out of 10 pairs, I got one pair that produce, maybe not even a champion, let's say uh, it's in the top 10 out of 600 birds. That's pretty good bird. So what, you, what you're gonna do is you're gonna keep breeding that bird. So next year, whatever I produce out of that pair, I'm gonna bring it back to the to the parents because that's the one that's producing on my course, my race course, you know. So the difference with that with bloodlines that are being sold in the market, especially you have to have a reputable seller some people they just slap on the pedigree and then god knows if it's really the real bird you know what i mean <laughs> they just want to make a sale out of it <laughs> there's a lot of them like that you know oh, there's, yeah. a lot, yeah. there's a lot of um, i've been seeing on facebook how can you breed that bird when i have that bird still on my coop and they're using the pedigree <laughs> when they're selling the bird somewhere else you know but it, it's really hard hard to say but let's go back to the bloodline i'm getting out of that outtake. so if you if you buy from a reputable breeder two parts is they're not gonna sell you a bad bird because they want their name to be carried to so if you went out of their birds it's kind of sort of advertising for them because you win with their bloodlines that they breed second part it adds to the value of their birds in their coop because it's producing new coop when you raise. But that's the two part. People spend a lot of money because they're um, from reputable breeders, probably from 5,000 to 10,000 for your, if you got money as a beginner, now compared to buying a $5, $10 bird out of the pet shop. Let's say you're joining a one lap race. Let's just say Hoosier. Hoosier is $250 perch fee per bird, just to get your bird on the coop. If your bird survive 100 miles, activation fee is $750. So you're spending a thousand bucks on that bird. So if you're competing with a $10 bird that you're trying to produce to make a winner compared to a thousand to a $10,000 bird, the $10,000 bird, if you look in the pedigree, from the parents to great 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 grandparents are all family of winners. That's why they get expensive. But with the bloodline nowadays, there is so much 
process. There's no more pure bloods. It's actually become the name of the breeder. It's the bloodline. Yeah, like Gannis or right. Yeah, Gannis got like probably 20, 30 top breeders. Mm-hmm. Taking well, notes here. I just saved myself five thousand dollars. I'm gonna go to the pet shop tomorrow. <laughs> Man, let's see how many per, see how many races I can afford now. I can get rid of all these birds. <laughs> well, it's gonna take you about ten years to come up with your um, family. Right. That. No, 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 no. That's gambling, man. <laughs> this is buying a lottery ticket right there. I mean, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I'm totally. Kidding. Well, there is. You know, we, we talked. We talked with Ryan, and he was saying that it's. What was it, Chris? Was it third generation? That you're sending yeah. out to the one loft race. You know, like you, the third generation is gonna be the. The the one you want. Yeah. Third heard, generation of the winner. Yeah. You heard that before? Not really. When it's you're actually... starting when you're starting a family with your birds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, your third generation's usually gonna be where you're gonna get the start getting better stuff. Yeah, because there's really not really any more like pure Van Loons, Jansons, or you know, because that yeah, stuff's been crossed so what what families do you have right now, Jason? So when I started 14 years ago, I got Huskin Van Rio, get some Scion, I got the Brent, and Hubens. Okay. So I bought them on the auction. You know, some of them are re- about to retire. So I know they've been re- racing for like 20, 30 years. So they only keep the best of the best out of their birds. But now it changes the way you look at it. If I'm gonna buy a bird, I would rather buy a bird that's like second place, third place, or a place first place winner than a pedigree bird because I know that performs already. So you're looking at the record more than the bloodline, then? Is what you're saying? Pretty, pretty much, yeah. It's because, like I said, uh, when I started earlier, is the course for the horse. Yeah. So I ship a bird to Arizona that bloodline might not do in Canada because it's different weather. I need you to send me some of those Arizona birds, man. There you go. <laughs> it works on your, <laughs> in your area. <laughs> it's a dep- different um, weather type, you know, so it's different body composition. I'm helping out a flyer out of uh, New Jersey. Last year was his first year flying. We got a champion out of him out of 250 miles. And he got a third place on a 300 for his first year. But he he works hard. Pigeon pigeon hobby is not easy. <laughs> it's a lot of work, uh, cleaning, you know, making sure birds are healthy. And he he spent a lot of time on that, and it pays off. So if that, you're sending a bird to like California, for instance, what would you be looking for, like body type, eye sign, wing wing type? So I usually ship three birds to one love race. Okay. So I'll have a smaller bird, a medium size, and a bigger bird. Okay. Because I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like the one in Arizona, I know what it's a medium to almost big size bird that I fly over there, the one I want. I know that's the kind of type of bird with the nice long wings is what they what I win from there. 
So that's that's why I send the three. Let's say that's my first race for that one loop race. I'm gonna test the water. Hope I get something good and whatever is stick, I'm gonna stay in that family. And I'm gonna infuse more of those winning bloodline out of that. And similar to that body type. Because the brain of the birds, a lot of birds are pretty smart now. If you've been breeding for you know, five years, ten years and everything like that. All your birds got brain. They go home unless they got, you know, accidentally hit by a hawk or hit a, hit a power line or something accident happened. But if nothing happened to them, the birds gonna go home. You know, they're gonna come back. They they get the brains on it. But what what change? What difference from it is is the location, the the weather and everything. So it depends on body type for that location that you're gonna ship. Like mostly uh, birds in Pattaya, they're like skinny, small birds. If you look at it here, it's like, it's a little bit bigger than a street pigeon. That's what you wanna send over there. That's what's winning bird over there. It changes in somewhere in, in Hoosier, it's like the biggest bird that you got is the one that's winning. Huh, and then like for Canada, where you got some kind of tougher courses, what are you sending up there? The one that survived that finished 49 on the final race, it's on the smaller side. It didn't balloon up. And I was thinking because he got sick in the beginning of the races, usually the pigeon balloon up on the middle of the races. And it didn't happen to that. When I got the birds still, still small. <laughs> okay. Because I shipped I ship bird in Hoosier. And it finished the race over there. So when I get the bird back, that bird is like almost a giant. They said, oh, this thing, this thing come back so big. It's so heavy. That's why I didn't, it wasn't in the top 10. <laughs> but it depends too. Because uh, one love race, they use a different beat. Like one one, uh, one love race use Versalaga, one use uh, bathing beads. You know, it, it depends what piece they gave to the bird too. So that's part of the concept to what they're feeding the birds. It's all their show. I mean, the training, the feed, the, the terrain, the type of race that they're doing, it's... How much money do you spend on one loft race? How much? We won't spend? tell your wife. We won't tell your wife. Uh, I can edit that part out, man. We just want to know. I don't know. Five, five, six grand yeah. in one one loft race. In one race? Yeah, yeah, I ship uh, birds in um, Spain on Arona Derby. So just the um, quarantine there in the U.S. before they sh ship it over there, that costs you some pretty penny already. Plus, you're going to have to activate the birds when you get there. Because it was an inter-island race. So from one island, they train in the water. Then they um, there's like three islands they have to hit for the final race. So it's a tough race. So I just really want to challenge the bird that uh, they can survive those kind of things. Because they survive they the overfly race, there, they end up on another island? They end up in the water. The water? Oh, ouch, that is tough. Yeah. And I, most, mostly because there's not much islands around it. So if you, if your bird muscle is not nicely, um, put together because some birds they cramp they their muscle cramps 
and some some birds don't cramps as easy. So when they cramps, they you know, you just get stiff and you just fell and you're you're dead meat. You want to have those birds that they can survive a long distance bird. So I ship some birds that from old bloodline, from an old breeder before. They when back in the days they used to fly a thousand mile race. We don't see that no more nowadays. Yeah. With all these one-off races that are popping off now, you'll even see where they have pricing just for to enter one bird. You know, most of the races you're putting a good number in, and you're kind of covering your bases with a variety of different types of birds. What advice would you give to somebody who's getting started in this one-off race? Send in three, five, ten birds. Or whatever one no bird, I'm, I'm, you know i probably ship like 30 but that's not on one one place i only ship three each yeah. make sure the bloodline out of those birds are from racers that win already or on the top 10 and always pair them the birds with one big and one small this could be a big uh cock lesser hand or big hand or smaller cock so when you get the the, the babies out of it you always come out on the medium size because you still don't know what kind of feeds they're giving them when they go to one loop race they could balloon up extra and they're too big or they don't balloon up that much they're just being the medium size and you're kind of judging a baby though when you're sending a bird out i mean i guess you're kind of making an assumption about what that bird's going to be from the breeding that took place that's correct and um Usually in the beginners, people that are just starting it, my my always always my advice is um, go to um, local flyers where they at about ten local flyers and get a pen and paper. And the first flyer that you approach is, hey, can I see your champion bird? And, and the champion bird, there's like ten characteristics that you gotta look at it: the body shape, the eye sign, the flights. Uh, the silkness of the feather, the throat. And out of that tent that you write, you go to the next flyer and you ask for their champion again. And you're gonna mark all those 10. And after you finish the 10, 10 loves that you visit, you, you'll come out to like six or seven similarities out of the champion. So that's what your baseline that you're looking at, that you wanna have on your bird. That's good advice. It's solid. Because that's, that's like that's the common denominator out of the 10 champions that you you, you hold and you see, you know, you got a um, apple shape or big plight or whatever. And you got to know, too, what this champion at. This is champion for 100. This is a champion for 300. So there's a lot of notes taking on it. Yeah. But like I said, six or seven out of those that you're going to see they gonna have that on those six uh, ten birds. Six of them's gonna have it. No, there's no perfect bird that you're gonna have all ten on the same bird. But that's guarantee you that you got more chances of winning if you can have those six out of that bird. And that base you on your baseline how you wanna breed your bird. Like as you said, they're still babies. You don't know what they look like, you know. But if you have the baseline on what you're looking at that helps with you when you ship in terms of picking up which bird you ship 
So really, before anybody gets started in one loft racing, they should at least have some sort of a family going, racing on their own to get an idea. That's what you're saying. That's the recommend because they just yeah. be wasting their money. Yeah. Uh, those people over there, they're shipping thirty thousand, eighty thousand dollar birds, babies. Yeah. And their bloodlines are from winners to winners, and you know they got the body type put together and everything. And that's kind of the theme that we hear with. We'll talk to different guys from race clubs, and you know, there's definitely an aspect now where it's almost like a business where people will just buy these really high pedigrees, put them in a breeding campaign. They won't do any racing at all, and just ship off birds. And then there's the other aspect where these guys have a racing background, um, and they're going off of what the birds have done, pedigrees, bloodlines. It's all important, but they actually race the birds, so they can kind of see where they're coming from with it. And, that's but, the safe way to do it. Yeah. But if you've got money growing in trees, right. just buy the pedigree <laughs> bird and just ship 30 birds on one one low raise and spend 50 grand out of it and hope I for still, the best. I still <laughs> like the pet shop. I know, because how many can you get? You can get like 50 birds at a pet shop for... <laughs> Man, I have, I have one guy here in Connecticut and his main foundation bird he bought it in pet shop for five bucks. No guy like and, that. And he applies in the club race, south of Connecticut. He just kept breeding out of breeding out of that bird. And most of his, most of his birds got 25% or 50% out of that bloodline from the $5 pet shop bird. That's funny. Isn't it, isn't it uh, Muleman's that are based off of a wild bird or a wild cop bird? I didn't really check Muleman's, but I know all I know was Muleman's about eight years ago. They come out red with some white uh, splash in it. I got a pair. And they look like um, like a Jansen body type when I look at it. But I really don't. I really don't check their uh, pedigree. Like I said, after um, four years of raising, I didn't. I didn't go to um, pedigree that much no more I went to a performance bird and the pedigree bird sure everyone I've talked to so far this is they've they've tried the Muleman's they uh they don't have very good reports for me so I might not have to worry about paying for any activation fees for a while they said <laughs> they said they all couldn't make it a hundred miles can't make the cut but much. uh yeah <laughs> Muleman's is a very old very old bloodline yeah yeah plus here in connecticut uh we have a lot of um hawks over here this time of year you let a bird out even if it's a champion bird you might not see it come back when in a five mile toss oh wow that's tough they just got snatched in the air because there's no critters going around there's no squirrels or anything like that for the hawks to eat so when they see your pigeon boom yeah, it's dinner never time thought about that i'm spoiled i'm finding the rain today <laughs> <laughs> what's how's, the, how's the feather of the bird when they come home they're still nice and dry yeah they they love the rain yeah. they'll uh it's kind of like a bath for them you must have given them a good um vitamin e on it it makes the the water goes like an, a raincoat out of them. Well, you do that yeah. oil on their feet, don't you? I do the oregano oil. Yeah, it's olive yeah. oil and oregano. 
<clears throat> yeah, that helps in their better oil, vitamin E. Is the racing club that you're a part of up there? Have you? Has it been growing? Has it been kind of staying the same? What's the health of that club like? When I started, we only got like 12 members. Uh, now we got like 54, 55 Whoa. members. Is that all yeah, your fault or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just we're just a good club, you know. Um, we some clubs they have like uh, a radius that they follow. You know, you can only go from the center point. You can only go 50 miles out. Yeah. We open our borders. Everybody could join. Oh, okay. Yeah, because some some people they complain. Oh, he's uh, he's a uh, 50 miles away from me. So I kind of like a California club. You got 50 more miles to go, and that's like an hour. You know what I mean? If they clap the bird less than an hour, they still beat me. But hey. They got their wins. I got my wins. Ch- wins change. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. To, I, I don't like that kind of thing. Some when they put um like a perimeter where they you you can only fly if you pass that um, um, state highway you can't fly against us and it's it's there's no control with the wind. It changes all year round. So. So that's why we grow. We open it up. You know, whoever got the best bird, best bird win. Yeah. Arizona changes so much. The terrain changes so much out here. If we did it like a statewide, man, that'd be a different course for every bird. Yeah. If I was uh, if I was part of a Phoenix club, they'd have to go 200 miles over a bunch of mountains <laughs> to get back home compared to just a straight shot across the city for most guys. Well, I have a, but, I have a mountain mountain to the east of me but then it's desert and then we have uh what do we have about five thousand foot elevation change mm-hmm. yeah so they it's, have to uh, go around that they have to go around that mountain yeah and we have the we have the rim and the grand canyon and we're like on the tail end of the rockies so there's all kinds of stuff to you know get in their uh, way I'll, I'll give you a topic for your next podcast. Is the birds go up the, above the mountain and go around the mountain? Yeah, now they got those trackers. They can actually watch how how they're flying and stuff like that, which is really interesting to see the routes they choose. Oh, the one they put on their legs? Yeah. Yeah, I'll see the, well, they'll do, uh, they'll follow a coastline, even though it's longer, instead of going straight across the body of water sometimes. These ones that are showing up at my place, I, I, I don't, I don't think they would go over that mountain. It's uh, it's pretty tall, pretty damn rugged. Yeah, and they tend to want to stay like at one height when they're flying. I noticed they don't really ever go any higher. Yeah, they most of the time they go around the mountain, but it's a good topic, you know, because uh, you guys live in a high elevation over there. You can have a drone to watch them, where they oh they can have the GPS to track it. But the only thing with those GPS, they're like fifty bucks a piece. But you don't lose that much bird, so you can give it a test. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> My birds can't fly 50 minutes. <laughs> that's um, that's one rule, too. They need to route out for two hours before you can do a, ro- a road training. Yeah, get them in shape. I was, I was so worried. I was so worried when I was new. I said, oh, I lost all my birds, all 30 of them. It's been two hours. I can see a shadow, any of them. And I wish new. They said, oh, it was just went routing. 
All right. They're learning new places. My uh, my neighbor, his birds come over my place all the time. He's about, oh, three quarters of a mile. And he flies 40, 50 of them at a time. It's kind of fun to see. They come over here and there. He flies colored homers. He's a show guy. So yeah, everything the, the good question with that is how big is Coop? Uh, <laughs> there's, there's some real estate there. <laughs> Sometimes pigeons, when they're not happy, they just tend to go somewhere else and wander. Well, these are these guys are just, he law flies every day, every day, and they'll route over my place. It's uh, it's kind of neat to see. I don't have very many colored birds. I had a red, white, and blue team. Uh, just a three-bird team. They were fun to fly. That's a nice red, white, and blue team. <laughs> yeah, that's what you guys need to have for the RPMV, man. Yeah. That's perfect uh, for you guys. <laughs> that was a lot of fun to fly. The one bird was a... He was a yearling. It was a white bird, and he was pretty trusty. I I homed him from, from the neighbor's house. Never been flown over there. And then uh, he gave me a... Uh, a red Mealman squeaker. I put that one in there and flew it. A nice blue check that I bred here. They were a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, if you have a Mealman, it's your baseline. I would recommend um, some stuff Van Reed to mix with that bird. That'd be a nice bird. Van Reed? Van Reed, yeah. They got a long kill, big flights, uh, long neck. Your Mealman is probably like an apple shape short neck big heads is that right uh yeah yeah that's about right there'd be a nice one to cross with some stuff that reads and there'll be a nice big wings with nice muscle on it i've got a couple of pet shop birds out here uh <laughs> no hey. it, i'm not i'm not joking uh the guy, the guy i got my first birds from he's got he sent me all of his race sheets on the birds and so you can look up all the bands and that kind of stuff and he was pretty modest about it and so i pulled it up and i said whoa yeah well, these birds they fly yeah. they fly pretty good so anyway i started breeding and i had a couple of problems i called him up and talked to him and we just started kind of shooting the breeze and he said one of my best birds is a is a bird i saw at the pet store with a band on it <laughs> that's the best bird <laughs> he said that's one of my best birds one i found at the pet store okay yeah you go to new york they got a lot of pet store in there and a lot of beautiful birds if i uh, trace back on what i said with the uh, six qualities of birds out of ten you can go to the pet shop and if you got that six qualities of birds that you're looking for you you might strike a diamond under the rock in there well in reality if you're buying swap meat pigeons you don't really know what you're buying either. So you you'd be see how it handles and and be looking for what you're looking for. I mean, for uh, for a newbie or new starters, that's not bad to start with. You know, when you're new too, if nobody's mentoring you, and you overcrowd your coop, they got sick, and you buy a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollar birds and you don't know how to take care of the bird and those birds are start pooping water and everything and 
you know, I said, what's happening here? That's a $200 bird, you know. They're just wasting money. But if they start to learn how to take care of the bird burners and a cheaper bird, if they made a mistake, it's not going to hurt their pocket as much. I started um, 2010 here in Connecticut. This is before uh, Facebook boom. It was uh, more of a Craigslist. So, I, you know, I got the love for the pigeon. I built my coop. I said, I'm going to go back to the pigeon. I don't know anybody in the pigeon world. I found this Craigslist. Somebody selling a white bird out of Massachusetts. Three hours drive away from me. And I tell you, I drive the three hours to get those birds. <laughs> That's, That's crazy. crazy stuff like that. Yeah. I think pigeon people probably put on, they probably wear out about 10% of the cars in America driving to go get birds, driving to fly birds, training. Just in training, yeah. <laughs> That's one thing that most don't consider. I didn't consider it either. It's the mileage. Yeah. You actually got to get your butt up out of bed to be out to let them birds go and 60, 80 miles away if you want to train out that far. Yeah, well, you're gonna have to train the 100 miles if you're flying the club at least twice before the first race. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a, a definite commitment there and you got to have the wheels and you got to have the funds to, to... Yeah, you got gas money always oh, hurting when the price of gas was $4.15 before. It was it's, crazy. It's still pretty high here. Uh, I use the green. I use the green handles, so it's over three, for sure. <laughs> but the well, first speed limit was five miles an hour, when they have they start having cars with the um, steam engine. Yeah, you look in the history. I'd rather first. ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> think about that, man. Think about them guys that were training pigeons from horses. You just got passed by a buckboard, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but this this is a good thing all i can yeah. say is my best advice if they're new new to this sport make sure they have a lot of time and do a lot of research it's um, save them money and save them some time like what are you guys doing this is good for new people to listen and pick up some notes and help them in the way you know yeah. hey we're 100 we're 100 percent new people so that's what that's what we're doing you know we're, we're learning right along with them yeah oh i'm still learning every day <laughs> like um I'll, I'll tell you something so um, this new guy that was trading on um in new jersey and he says oh this guy there's an old guy that's flying in new jersey and i approach him and said how come how can um what you do so you won't lose your birds so fast when you just first let them out? He says, oh, I dumped them on the bucket so they got their feathers wet so they can fly out and they get used and familiar with the place. I said, that makes sense because if they're all dried out and they just scoop out and the hawk scared them. They, I got one bird. I just let it out of the coop. It flew 30 miles away and I have to pick it up because I used to put my phone number when the band, I put a sticker on it and they call me. I said, how do you end up 30 miles away from my house and I just let you out? I don't even put you in the training. 
the birds were so scared it flew 30 miles away so i picked that up but i said i never try wetting the birds when i let them out just not to because that's like catch 20 to uh, 22 if the hawks around they can't fly too they gotta get eaten they don't fly too far <laughs> they stay in the coop but if the hawks came in they can't they can't survive they just gotta get caught you know so it depends on the location I guess but the the New Jersey one they're in the city so they don't have that much hawk I leave uh, seven acres of wetlands behind my house it's not my seven acres but there's like a reservoir over there nobody can build they're just breeding over there I can hear the babies and the hawks crying <laughs> so I know they're around <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having oh, me. This is good, man. Yeah, this this whole episode was brought up uh, Jamie Hilbert, uh, one of the listeners to the podcast, who wanted to talk about some racing pigeon bloodlines and some, you know, with the one loft stuff coming up. And you definitely got a lot of championships and experience under your belt. And, you know, the racing pigeons for military veterans, man. That's that's really cool. Thanks for keep keep that going. I think that's a really good good program there. Yeah, search it up. So yeah. happy to help. We're actually. We're expanding. I think we don't have a coordinator for Arizona yet. We might have hooked you guys up with that. Okay. We, we have Alabama, um, Indiana, uh, Florida, we're everywhere. So we try to have coordinator in each state so that they can help their local people. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, Jason. Thank you, guys. Thank you.